0: You're listening to The Reconditioned Podcast, and in the first of a two-part series where I try to get to the bottom of the long-standing debate on whether it's healthier to be fully plant-based or have some organic animal products, today I speak with plant-based women's health doctor, Dr. Nitu Bajakal. Stay tuned.
1: Your personality creates your personal reality authentic power is when your personality comes to serve the energy of your
0: soul. The truth is the body is one ecosystem. You can get to the root cause and everything goes away. Welcome to the Recondition Podcast, where I use my knowledge and expertise of over a decade in the wellness and transformation world To take a deep dive into what makes us thrive as humans, I'm Lauren Vaknin, leading wellness and transformation coach, and following my remission from the rheumatoid arthritis I'd had for 27 years that left me wheelchair-bound by the age of 18, I created a unique coaching combination, conflating physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual aspects of self to create true, long-lasting well-being in all senses of the word. This podcast is one of the many free resources I've created to help you achieve the same. Whether you're suffering from chronic illness, raising children in a world of conflicting information, you're an entrepreneur wanting to step into your purpose, or you simply want to feel empowered and motivated to become the best version of yourself, join me along with expert guests as we uncover the most actionable and tangible ways to recondition ourselves back to wellness. The Recondition Your Life Academy is going to be open for enrollment again from the 24th of August for a few short days. It only opens three times a year and there are limited spaces because I keep these groups intimate. And of course, it's first come, first served. You can head to laurenvacneencoaching.com and go to the client love page to see what Academy alumni are saying about how the course changed their lives. From helping to find their purpose to finally recovering from trauma to finally being able to manifest their dream relationship after being single for years, to understanding their body better in order to recover from illness, to, well, just actually being happy for the first time. If you are not in complete alignment in your life, if you've read all the self-help books, you've taken all the courses, you're listening to all the motivational speakers, but nothing is shifting for you, and you are just so ready to be happy and fulfilled already, if you're ready to become your best self and start manifesting into your life everything you dream of, the Recondition Your Life Academy is for you. It's a 12-week remote course where you are coached by me personally and alongside a sacred tribe of like-minded women, all there to uplevel their lives. We work through the four aspects of self, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, tackling every aspect of self that could be broken until we heal the whole person. It is unique. You will not find anything else out there like it. And it changes lives every single time. Just check out all the video testimonials on my Instagram highlights to see what I mean. The transformations as a result of this course have been life-changing. And you could have that too. And I want you to have that too. So get a guaranteed spot by getting your name on the waiting list over at laurenvacneencoaching.com forward slash recondition and put the steps in place to recondition your life today. Welcome back everyone. Thank you for joining once again. Oh, it's an interesting one today. (laughs) So you guys know that informed choice, informed consent is my jam. That is my thing. That is why I created this podcast, because there is so much conflicting information out there when it comes to everything to do with health. And if we think about it, like everything is health. What isn't health? You know, everything we do, all the choices we make contribute to our health or lack thereof. So there is this long-standing debate on whether fully plant-based diet or a diet that has some organic animal produce is healthier. Now I say organic and I'm going to state that and restate that and restate that because always for me, if it was a choice between non-organic or no meat, it's always going to be no meat because non-organic meat has growth hormones, antibiotics, steroids, the works, the animal's been kept in horrible conditions, you know, the ethical side of it, we don't even need to go in, it's just dire. So weighing up those plant-based or some organic animal products, products from healthy animals. Which one is the right one? Is there a right one or is it an individualized approach? I believe in an individualized approach to everything. When we get to the end of the two part series, perhaps I will have a different conclusion and I will put that on next week's episode intro because I would have recorded the episode already with Dr. Rimka, who's going to be giving us the counter argument. Not that I wanted to make this an argument and I specifically didn't do this as one episode with both women on the show, because I don't like pitting women against each other. I think everyone's entitled to their views. I always have believed that everything comes down to an individualized approach when it comes to healthcare. So let's see if my mind is changed by the end of this. So today I interviewed Dr. Nitu Bajikal, who is a women's health doctor, and she is fully plant-based. And now what I will preface is that there was a lot of stuff in this episode that I didn't agree with. Now I'm not one for censoring so I wasn't going to not air this or cut to anything out because I wanted to get her opinion on a plant-based diet. However, some of the things that I didn't agree with, she does bring up vaccines. Obviously I was vaccine injured, that is my own personal experience which no one can take away from me and that happened and that is what triggered the arthritis in me before I was two years old. I don't like spending too much time talking about vaccines on the podcast but there is a lot of corruption there and I believe it's important for people to have all the information it's multifactorial it's multifaceted it's a multifaceted argument where it's not oh vaccines helped or vaccines are unsafe there is so much more to it and so I kind of cut her off because I didn't want this conversation to be about that and for the listeners to get distracted On that conversation, this was about plant-based or not. There are also lots of animal proteins in vaccines, so that might be something to consider. The other thing is she talks a lot about soya and how she has non-organic soya which is non-GMO, but from my research, and obviously, yes, she is a doctor, I am not. However, that has never stopped me before (laughs) from believing that the things that I study and the years of of self-study and people that I have come across in this space as a result of my quest for answers when it comes to healthcare have led me to information that I don't believe I need a medical degree for, and my knowledge is just as valid. So it's my belief that the phytoestrogens in soya are not beneficial to human health. And she also talks about having that because it has added vitamins. And she mentions this about taking folic acid and iron supplements as well. Now, I am vehemently opposed to any synthetic vitamins, anything that is not Uh, methylated about 70% of us have a gene mutation called MTHFR there are many other gene mutations and polymorphisms as well that I speak about extensively in articles that you can have a look at on my blog which is laurenvacneen.co.uk I'll link one of those articles below and I've done a lot of research into this and into epigenetics and especially MTHFR any of us who do have MTHFR which like I said is around 70% of the population most people don't even know that they've got it it's not something that doctors look into or doctors test for which is another reason why I don't believe that doctors know everything. It means the liver of a person with MTHFR will essentially convert a vitamin into a toxin and you have less ability to detoxify. So our detoxification pathways are more closed. So synthetic vitamins get converted into toxins. So anything like synthetic folic acid, synthetic vitamin B12, these should be methylfolate, methylcobalamin, as in folate and B12, that's what you should be taking if you do need to supplement. I also think we should get where we can everything from food and what we can't we should be supplementing with non-synthetic, really high-grade vitamins. So my opinion on what she said about Folic acid, synthetic folic acid is a no-no. I know that there is a lot of research linked between synthetic folic acid, women who have MTHFR and miscarriage. I did a lot of research on this myself. I wrote an article about this. And iron supplements. I am really opposed to iron supplements. Iron, we can be low in iron for many reasons. It could be whether it's the hemoglobin, whether it's the ferritin, or it could even be that you don't have enough copper and copper is what transports iron around the blood. When doctors take blood tests, they don't tell you this. They don't look into this. They just give iron supplements, which could lead to iron toxicity, which also isn't healthy. So I believe everything is multifaceted. If your iron is low and your doctor is telling you that you have low iron and you need to increase your iron, I don't think the answer is always iron supplements. And if it is, there are healthier ways of getting it than that stuff that the doctors prescribe that makes your poop go black. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm just prefacing that because I don't want to censor her. She is entitled to her own opinion and her own research and her own knowledge and it may be valid for some people. A lot of it wasn't valid for me. I do believe what she says about the ethical side of eating animal products. Obviously, if no no one was eating animal products, the planet would be a lot healthier, especially because of factory farming, mass farming and all of that, which I, I really am s- strongly opposed to. It hurts my heart. And I believe if anyone has the choice, if you are eating animal products, it should always be organic. And if it's not organic, don't eat it. That's the choice. And if it's a case of, well, I can't afford organic meat, Then don't eat meat. That would be my choice. Go and get some beans and lentils and pulses and (laughs) be on a plant based diet. So, that is that side of things. Obviously, I do mention this when I speak to her, but just very quickly to preface why I've done this because I was a vegetarian for a long time. Ethically, it always spoke to me. I wanted to be vegetarian. I felt better in my mind, in my soul as a vegetarian. But every time I have ever been with a holistic practitioner from my homeopath to my functional medicine doctor to my acupuncturist, and this is two different homeopaths as well. And now with the South American Shaman I'm working with, every one of them puts me back on animal products. And I have since had bloods genetic reports, everything leads to me, my personal genetic makeup, needing some animal products in my diet. And my body does feel better with it. So all I can say is that is my observational evidence for me. Ethically, it still doesn't feel right. But if every single practitioner has done that, but prefacing that, that's why it made... A sense to me to do these episodes because I really am unbiased. I want to be vegetarian for ethical reasons, but it feels like my body needs meat. therefore I believe and don't believe in both. so I'm completely unbiased coming to this. So that's why I wanted to do these two episodes as kind of a like little challenge thing where we really see at the end, okay, what one seems to hold up more or is it an individualized approach? I believe everything's an individualized approach. So let's see if I get proven wrong. but I'm gonna let you get on with the episode now. So thank you for being here. Make sure you tune in to next week's one as well, which will be next Friday, because obviously it's gonna be the counter argument with Dr. Stephanie Rimka, who I'm a massive fan of, who does some amazing work in the natural health space. She's a brain doctor, all about brain optimization. She's incredible. So make sure you tune into both and get in touch with me over on Instagram. And let me know your thoughts on this. Okay, here goes. Dr Nitu Bhajakal is a senior NHS consultant, obstetrician and gynecologist in the UK with over 35 years of clinical experience in women's health. She is a fellow of the Royal College and recipient of the Indian President's Gold Medal She's one of the first US board-certified lifestyle medicine physicians in the UK. She has written the women's health module for the first UK university-based plant-based nutrition course. Dr. Bajakal is also the founder of Women for Women's Health, a voluntary service set up to educate, energize, and empower women to make lifestyle choices to help improve their own and their family's health. Dr. Bajakal is passionate about educating women providing reliable medical and lifestyle information for the general public, doctors, workplaces and schools. She is an advocate for plant-based living and incorporates this where possible into her work. And that is what we want to speak to her today. So welcome, Dr. Bajikal.
1: Thank you. Thank you. You can call me Neetu, Lauren. Me too. okay.
0: Welcome, and, Neetu. Uh,
1: yes, absolutely fine. And no, thank you very much for having me on this podcast. It's um, I always love talking about uh, what I do and what people want to hear. So
0: perfect. Well, you. as you know, what I what people want to hear from my my listeners and what I have wanted to do for a long time is to get a balanced view on plant based diet versus a diet rich in organic animal protein. There are arguments for both sides. Now, I come at this from a totally unbiased perspective because I have been both. And I have my reasons for agreeing or not agreeing with both. Um, For my own journey, um, I was vegetarian for a long time for ethical reasons. It's always been ethical reasons for me, which regardless of any of this, no one can argue that for ethical reasons, obviously not eating animals is um, the only choice. but what's happened with me is that whenever I've been in remission from arthritis for eight years but um, whenever I had a flare up or anything that has happened with my health, every holistic practitioner I have ever gone to from my homeopath to my functional medicine doctor to my acupuncturist either based on bloods or energy work or Vega machine, whatever it was, would say, you need to eat meat. The same thing happened at the end of my pregnancy with my daughter. My iron levels were really, really low. And they weren't going to let me have a home birth. And I was desperate to have a home birth. And um, because obviously, if I needed a blood transfusion or anything like that, my homeopath said, Lauren, I want you to eat some meat. And so I did, my husband picked me up some organic meat. And I, what it felt like, was and I always use this analogy you know when Popeye eats the spinach and his his muscles pop up that's how I felt like this the, the color came back to me I felt better my iron went up everything felt better and then but then I'd assumed that after kind of having her in those kind of early weeks I would go back to being vegetarian and then I started working with a South American shaman who gives everyone an individualized approach based on their own unique situation but he put me back on meat and it's always organic it always has to be you know kind of pasture-reared, grass-fed, organic, healthy animals. Um, and I feel like no matter how much I've tried <laughs> to be vegetarian, I've always come back to meat. And at the moment, I'm not even allowed any pulses or legumes or beans, which was my staple beforehand, especially coming from kind of a Mediterranean background. Um, so so that is my, my reason for wanting to do this, because there are Uh, conflicting views um, as there is in anything with healthcare Um, and you are an expert in this and next week I'm going to be interviewing an expert on the other side. Um, So I thought I would kind of hand over to you and we can start talking about why you believe plant-based is genuinely the healthier option but before we do I always start by asking my guests what have you done so far today to support your wellness? So
1: what do you mean by today as in today?
0: Yeah have you done anything so far today to support your wellness? Yes. Go for a walk, have a special yes. drink, any of yes. that kind of stuff?
1: So um I have uh, woken up and um I have meditated for about 15 minutes. Uh, I had a, a little bit of a difficult night last night because I was struggling with a bit of hay fever mm. um, because I walk um, you know about Anywhere between ninety minutes to three hours every day with my dogs, whatever my work schedule may be, mm. uh, we find the time to do that. I have two rescue pups, Aww. so uh, yes, I was um, on a long walk, uh, and I've done that. Uh, I will have, I will be doing uh, a Pilates class. Um, online, I find the online classes are much better. Uh, and then in between, I will be working on my book and uh, on mm. some recorded lectures that I have to do, uh, and also do a, a clinic um, with patients. So it's a packed day. Busy, uh, busy yeah. <laughs> Yes, But I love what I do. I don't really think of it as work. Um, I have never thought of it as work. I mm. always knew I wanted to do obstetrics and gynecology. Mm. And it was as I was working uh, in Ops and and operating on all these patients and looking after all these uh, pregnant women as well as women, you know, at extremes of life, teenagers as well as older uh, people. I realized that there was something missing uh, and that was basically lifestyle advice, which mm. we hadn't been taught. Uh, and my own uh, story comes in there um, because I became a uh, uh, you know, went through premature ovarian failure at the age of 38, mm-hmm. uh, and so I um, was really quite shocked and didn't know where to turn. Uh, I knew the medical side of things, but I didn't realize, and I realized that there's a lot of um, unscientific um, advice out there. Uh, and for me, um, when I talk about plant-based nutrition, I only work with the science. Uh, you know, because. I'm a vegan as well. Uh, and, but, uh, being vegan is an ethical philosophy. It's got really nothing to do with health as mm. such. Uh, although I do believe it's all connected and I think as a health practitioner, it is unethical. I think if in the same breath, you do not talk about planetary health mm. uh, because there's no point, um, you know, you being healthy, for example, me being healthy on a planet that has been ravaged doesn't add up at all. So for me, um, Even discussing, uh, you know, the merits of plant-based nutrition, uh, first of all, based on science, which is really important, but also in context of planetary health and the sentient beings that we share the world with becomes extremely um, difficult uh, simply because there is very little argument on the other side. You know, you can't bring yourself to say... um, there are individual variations, you know. I'm not talking about people who don't have the privilege. Of course, if you are on a desert um, or if you are, you know, really very uh, poor, then of course, you know, if you get an egg or you drink uh, goat's milk, that's absolutely fine. Anybody who has the privilege of choosing health and choosing and having choice, my question always is, why would you choose to be hurtful or harmful to the planet or to your body? or to uh, the animals that you're abusing. So that is where I come from. But let's talk more about the plant-based side of things. So I realized that as i was looking after patients that i was observing very keenly the the foods that they were eating and you know and most of my patients in my private practice setting especially were eating organic meats and uh, organic uh, chicken and you know were very health conscious doing their walks doing their yoga and day after day in my clinic um, both on the nhs and privately i would see these young fit women in their early thirties, late thirties, early fifties with breast cancer, with, uh, you know, their partners with prostate cancer, with polycystic ovarian syndrome, with raging endometriosis. And I started putting two and two together. And I t- was really quite horrified that I hadn't been taught any nutrition at all, mm-hmm. anything to do with lifestyle in my medical uh, practice. And even as a training program director for OBS and Gyne, when I tried to bring it in, there was a lot of resistance because we don't know how to talk um, about lifestyle. So unfortunately, people start seeing, um, you know, people who are coming without the science background, and so mm. they throw these things in. There are no randomized trials. There are no long-term observational studies. And we know from the Global Burden of Disease Study, which is the largest study that looked at 195 countries they found that people who don't eat carbohydrates, people who don't eat their main diet is not full of legumes, whole grains, fruits and vegetables have the highest risk of dying, irrespective of how much junk food they eat. Irrespective, oh, of, irrespective how much,
0: of that.
1: Irrespective of that. So it doesn't matter what you do. If you're not filling your plate with fruits, vegetables, beans, legumes, whole grains, intact whole grains, minimally processed whole grains, nuts and seeds, herbs and spices, you stand a very, very high chance, as we can see um, in most countries now, of breast of cancers, and of course the, the top killers for women, heart disease, diabetes type 2 diabetes which leads to kidney failure and, and amputations and dementia dementia now mm. accounts for 18 percent of all female deaths is a top killer in the UK mm. the top killer can I can I
0: interrupt yeah. just for of a course. second because this is of great course. and I'm loving all of it yeah and I just where I've got questions I want to be yes, able to just absolutely ask, and you can ask that, me okay. any, yeah awesome. you can ask me anything so we so. can what I want, and I'm not playing, I guess I am playing a little bit different Africa, but yeah, you I can do anything. No what problem. my job is, is to ask what the listeners yes. are thinking themselves. Totally. Okay? So, there are, so how I always see it, and how I come, and I've been researching, you know, yeah. kind of pharmaceuticals and that whole thing yeah. for a very long time. And my own healing journey kind of, you know, yeah. tipped me on that. There are always variables and it's multifactorial, right? Yes. So, are we looking at those illnesses and looking what else are those people putting in their bodies? Are they, okay, you said irrespective of justice. That was a really good point to know Yes. because how much sugar are they eating? But let's think about breast cancer. We know that aluminium causes breast cancer, toxic um, deodorants, body products, cleaning products. um, How many, how much kind of pharmaceutical medication are they taking in my mind, I feel like all that contributes as well.
1: Of course, it contributes, but don't forget that the biggest surface area of our body is our intestine, okay, mm. our gut. And our gut, when you unfold it out, is, is much bigger than even our lungs. It's something mm. like two tennis courts. That is the amount of absorption. The first thing that our external envi- internal environment faces from the external environment is the food we eat and the drink we drink. Mm. So there, you have to look at the science. So, yes, aluminium, endocrine disruptors, these all may play a tiny, tiny, tiny role. And just to give you an idea probably, you know, one in 1000 women in China uh, will get breast cancer, for example, okay, in rural China. And when they move to Hong Kong, which they start eating what is known as a rich person's disease, um, rich person's diet, which includes things like cheese and dairy milk, we know that These contain insulin-like growth factors, growth hormone, because it's meant for a baby cow to be made into a big cow. So what then ends up happening, it stimulates the breast tissue. And as a result, what happens is when you are doing this from a very early age, you start stimulating breast tissue, which is why menarche or the early start of periods tends to be because in the Western world, especially Mm -hmm. earlier, because of the high intake of animal products that are full of hormones. Because those hormones, even if it's organic, are still full of hormones because that's the job of of uh, uh, a hum of animal tissue. It has hormones in it, yeah. you know. So it that's has why I never
0: gave it. my kids milk.
1: Yes. So whether it's oh, milk now. or red meat or or poultry or anything, they all have to have saturated fat. They have to have you know just like our bodies have to have. And so at the end of the day, when you look at person from China who moves to Hong Kong, the risk becomes one in 100. Now the risk in the UK, the US and all developing uh, or developed countries is now one in seven to one in eight. So that's one in eight of us is going to get a diagnosis of breast cancer mm-hmm. and it's getting earlier and earlier. And that is to do, a lot to do with not just our sedentary lifestyle, which of course plays a role, being, uh, you know, carrying excess weight. Of course, that plays a huge role uh, because smoking is not that much of a risk factor now uh, you know being um, uh, of heavier weight or excess weight is probably one of the risk factors and you can only be of heavier weight when you eat foods that are not good for us generally animal foods as well as ultra processed foods so refined foods so white Mm. sugar white bread white rice so really what the global burden of disease study for example was showing what the china study was showing what my own practice has shown that the more you fill your plate and that is the same for me in my own personal experience. And, uh, you know, you just don't have to be iron deficiency anemia at all on a on a, a plant based diet, there is absolutely no reason at all, I see the same number of um, uh, anemic people on an omnivore diet, just because mm-hmm. most diets are poorly planned. Yeah. They're not, you know, you could be a vegan on a very poor diet, you could be an omnivore on and most people are on very poor diets. Mm-hmm. And there is also a flip side here, the iron that you're intaking, it also comes with some Thing that is quite nasty what is known as heme iron heme iron causes something called oxidative stress it inflames and causes tissue aging something called advanced glycation end products which we know damages our ovaries particularly uh, and women uh, or people with pcos tend to suffer from these um, uh, high levels of receptors of um, advanced glycation end products so when they eat barbecued meats when they eat you know, even boiled chicken has more advanced glycation uh, end products than fried potatoes, you know, so we do want to make sure that people understand it doesn't matter what you eat, you want to eat red meat, you know, um, and you're not worried about the ethical side of things or the humane side of things, that is your choice, you know, your choice is completely allowed that's that's fine but if you're talking about health based on science then every single diet every single long living population has survived based on eating a mostly or predominantly or a plant forward plant based diet that's what you have to remember whole grains legumes beans peas lentils nuts seeds fruits vegetables without fiber Remember the gut I told you about, you know, all that lining of the gut, you need fiber, without fiber, and there's zero fiber, not a single gram of fiber in that piece of steak you would have eaten, not one. While a cup of beans would give you all the iron that you want, probably more iron than the beef, but also more bioavailable because it's non-heme iron and if you're anemic you tend to absorb it more and anyway even if you were anemic what you would need is iron tablets that is the much better way whether you're an omnivore or this because you have a better control in pregnancy you want to know that you're supplementing if you're iron deficient just like you should be taking your folic acid just because you can get folate from green leafy vegetables no you have to take folic acid we have the studies we know the science when you bleed you bleed so quickly you'll end up with a blood transfusion. So where I'm coming at is I'm not at all somebody who wants to say, I'm going to watch what you eat. And I'm going to tell you that you can't eat chicken. You can't eat red meat. You can't eat eggs. But I'm telling you that they're not good for you because every time you eat them, you're missing out on putting health in your mouth. So it's not that a donut is completely bad if you ate it once a year but if you ate it every other day you're missing the chance of eating a big bowl of mango with some dark chocolate drizzled on it every time you eat a piece of chicken or piece of fish you're missing the chance of eating a big bowl of minestrone soup with some you know uh, rye bread or uh, a, a stir fry with lots of tofu in it and you know drinking your eating your porridge with soya milk in it so it's not that there are choices that are all bad there's no food that is good or bad you know it just depends on how f- often you eat it how frequently you eat it but you're not going to get anything specifically from these foods that plant foods can't give you that is my um experience with my patients. That's what I see uh, in my own family with my husband, you know, uh, turning around his diabetes because he used to eat just eggs and fish. He never even ate red meat and it was only when he went plant-based. But, you know, we're not talking about N of 1. We're Mm -hmm. talking about large-scale studies and that's what the large-scale studies show. So, you know, you're looking for nutrients. You can get each of those nutrients You know, just like the elephant and the rhino and the hippo does and just like Mm -hmm. the gazelle and the the deer does. You and I can get that. So, Mm I I'm not in agreement with these health professionals who are advising, many of whom actually haven't read the science. And that is the problem. They don't actually know the science. Um, But yes, I'm happy for any queries you have in that or any further questions.
0: Well, yeah, a few actually. So um, when you say about kind of, um, you know, people from around the world who have thrived and, I I've read a lot of Western A. Price stuff. Who's he? Kind of went around and and observed tribes and tribal living, and they all had quite. You know, they would eat meat, and that of was what, and fish and the things that were available to them. So it's tribes actually. in kind of by the sea would have lots of you know yes. sea product, fish, and you know, and and the tribes that were kind of out in the lands would eat meat, and so. It wasn't that those people weren't thriving on that because they were, because that was what was available to them. And I guess what I want to- If come you look to- at the
1: Paleolithic, all the evidence, then people were eating about 100 gram of fibers, okay, mm-hmm. up to 150 gram of fiber. And still today, the tribal's, um, groups that you're talking about still eat over 100 grams of fiber.
0: Right. So the and, point is that it has to be a balance because you still have to be getting that fiber. You can't just eat meat. Yeah, how, and then do You know under? how
1: you can get 100 grams of fiber. Even me as a whole food plant base gets about 60 to 80 grams of fiber. And I'm only eating plants. Mm. OK, so and the average A British person or American person gets less than 18 grams and we're Mm -hmm. supposed to get 30 to 45 grams. So to eat 100 grams of fiber, the predominant part of your daily diet has to be fiber. Can't be anything else. You physically cannot get any fiber otherwise. But yes, of course, if they had some, um, you know, they had a specific uh, festival, they would, you know, kill the hog and and have it or they do some shooting or you know with the bow and arrow but we'll i don't know if you've heard about the blue zones have you heard about the blue zones yeah. okay so the blue zones are five areas in the world Okay, And I would urge all your listeners to look them up because that's really important. So the one is in Sardinia in Italy. You have Ikaria in Greece. You have Nicoya in Costa Rica. You have the Seven Day Adventists in Loma Linda. And I think you have Okinawa in Japan. So these are people, these blue zones, Dan Butner of National Geographic actually discovered these groups uh, and has written a wonderful book. So the blue zones are people who live they have the highest group of centenarians the highest number of people who live you know into the 80s 90s live into their hundreds but I'm not talking about how people live in this country where people spend their last 10-15 years in a home Mm -hmm. uh, in a hospice with dementia these are people who gently go into the night Mm -hmm. okay and when he looked at their diets of course it was not just looking at the nutrition, they were you know active. They had friends, the social network, their sleep, their stress levels—all was very important. But what was binding most of them, or in their things? So you had some extremes like Loma Linda only ate plants, so they're plant-based. Uh, while you have um, Ikaria, I think that does eat some pork. But generally speaking, all of them were eating. Huge amounts of fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds. Some uh, had olive oil, some had some uh, occasional fish. But generally speaking, it was a plant predominant Mm -hmm. diet. And we know that from just watching our own patients that when you include these foods into your diet, you get health. Because complex carbohydrates, the World Health Organization has clearly, very clearly said our diets need to be at least 55% carbohydrate. And by carbohydrate, I don't mean your donut or your cake or your white bread. By Mm -hmm. carbohydrates, I mean complex carbohydrates and carbohydrates with a low glycemic load. So we're talking fruits, vegetables, beans, and legumes and whole grains. So um, blue zones is something that has given us a lot of observation because they've been there for centuries. Mm -hmm. Just like the China study, women moving from China to Hong Kong to the UK one in thousand, one in hundred, one in seven breast cancer. Mm. We know that and we see it. You know, I have patients with metastatic cancer who have turned their lives around. Those are all small numbers, so we can't talk about them really. You know, N of one is not important. It's observation and science that tells us. The broad study, the New Zealand study showed that the only group that put weight, uh, who lost weight, lost m- more weight than any other control group, but kept it off even two years down the line. Remember, every diet, can you can lose weight. You can mm-hmm. lose weight, uh, you know, snorting cocaine. You can lose weight uh, smoking cigarettes. You can lose weight eating only meat. Mm-hmm. But what is the point of losing weight only for it to come back in three to six months? Mm-hmm. And also, you're damaging your health in the long term, making your diabetes worse, making your heart disease worse, making your polycystic ovary syndrome worse, making endometriosis worse. The nurse's health study looked at 175,000 women And they found that if you sat for more than two hours, you had a 25% chance of being uh, of excess weight. But similarly, they found that if you drank even three cups of um, small portions of dairy, you had a higher chance of breaking your hip bone. You also had a higher chance of endometriosis for every bit of red meat that you ate. And the more citrus fruits and more green leafy vegetables you ate, the lower was the risk of your endometriosis. Same thing with fibroids. These are lumps of muscle. So we have... So much of scientific information that really I have yet to meet a scientist or a researcher who can show me any evidence zero evidence that a meat based diet can be of any good to you. Yes, you want to include it in small amounts because you like the taste and you don't really care that much about the planet and you don't care so much about your children's future and you're not so bothered about animals. If that is because you feel your own health is the most important, that's absolutely fine. Or your own taste is more, that is fine. But no scientist has yet shown me a single randomized trial that has shown consistently that anybody who eats a a meat-predominant diet actually does better. I have never seen it in real life either.
0: My only counter to that is that, that I've seen a lot of things in my life that science hasn't or won't do studies on, and there is a lot of corruption in science. There's a lot of corruption with medical journals. I myself was vaccine injured at the age of two. And I know thousands of other people who were. And yet no, no science journal, medical journal will state that that happens.
1: That's so they do state. We have a whole something called wares. And yes, I, know you know, I come from yeah. India. And I would tell you firsthand the number of millions of children that have been saved with vaccines. To deny anybody a vaccine is fine in the first world uh, or developed world if somebody wants to take that decision. But it is something that is so hurtful and harmful to the larger population that it is not something that I would advocate. Having seen children die just because their parents couldn't bring them in time from silly little things like measles and chickenpox. I'm chicken going to pops. stop
0: this because I think perhaps we're not going to agree on this okay, yeah, subject. Okay, and I don't fine. want it to get onto what yeah, my, yeah, no my point was is that yeah there is often empirical evidence based on observation so of i've course. seen lots of things in my life and met many people That's fine. and observed things that science or medical journals might not show yeah. that might still be the case regardless and and, and just because someone hasn't uh, written it in a medical study doesn't mean someone else is observation or someone else's reality and experience is less valid and that's what that for me is science also what is science at the end of the day it's observation totally understanding um but let's go to you were talking about um legumes and pulses and that was my staple right there is nothing better for me than a dal like that is my love right and i'm missing it so much at the moment like lentils and chickpeas i'm not israeli so like hummus for me is my life um However, there there is a school of thought that says uh, uh, meat is inflammatory and there's another school of thought that says uh, lectins are inflammatory. So I'd like you to talk a little bit about that. So
1: the problem with people not, not understanding about lectins is that yes, there is a protective cover for each lentil because it's trying to protect itself until it's ready to become into a tree. Nobody eats raw lentils, okay? So what you want to always do is you want to cook them. When you cook them, the lectin is not an issue. We know that the large patients, the number of patients that I see who have got bowel issues, who may have been misdiagnosed as endometriosis and vice versa, they often have gut, the, their gut health has been destroyed because of the kind of foods that they've been eating. And then they're suddenly trying to introduce legumes and things into their diet. So my advice in that situation would be always start slow, start low. So you start with a teaspoon of really well cooked dal, and you add things which are spices. So you know things like asafoetida, and he, uh, which is hing, and, and all different spices really helps with uh, absorption of the lentils. Mm. Lectins on their own are a non-issue, complete non-issue, because once you've cooked them and you don't you don't cook them raw, you cook them until they're so soft that with the mm. back of the fork you can actually mash them. There are other ways also that are age old in all age old cuisines, because what we do is we sprout, we ferment, we soak, we then cook it. So those are things that often what has happened in the Western world is that people don't know how to make lentils, make legumes. So they end up with bloating, discomfort. And on top of that, they're often so remember the gut again. I'm coming back again to the gut, but the gut that I was talking about contains uh something like 300 trillion bacteria uh, rke and fungi and things like that of which there are many groups that live on fiber they provide the health so if you have encouraged your gut to be full of e coli shigella salmonella all the um, you know the bile secondary bile acid producing bacteria so these don't know what to do with fiber so as soon as you eat that, you get acute pain, you get all these acute symptoms because they have been subsisting on uh, animal products, which then releases all kinds of, you know, five new GC and TOR and things like that. So legumes, if you are somebody who's sensitive to it, you should work with a gastroenterologist, somebody like Dr. Alan Desmond, for example, who is very renowned, Dr. Will, who's very renowned or with a, with a, uh, Registered dietitian who will actually take you through how you can heal your gut because the human body is very forgiving, even if you are somebody who has eaten all kinds of foods all your life it will actually forgive you and allow you to bring plant-based foods back because that's how we evolved. We evolved eating roots and berries and leaves and shoots. We were on trees, then we came down and we continued to eat like that. Mm -hmm. It's a very new phenomenon. You have to remember, it's only about 100, 150 years ago that we started, as soon as industrialization came, you started having these big pastures and factory farming and things like that. Mm -hmm. So that's where one has to understand that lectins is a non-issue, completely Non-issue. You should never exclude them from your diet. No person will have a good story to tell at the end of it, having excluded complex carbohydrates. Never. I've never seen it in my 35 years. I don't see it every day, and I see health coming back when people bring these things back. And you have to do it gently, just like you would. You wouldn't suddenly go and lift, you know, a thousand kilograms um, in in the gym. You're going to start with tiny half a kilogram weights and then one kilogram and slowly do if you've never exercised, you know, we tell people to do five minute exercise, bursts. that's important. So you've got to train your gut again. That is the important thing. So yes, lectins uh, is really a a non-issue, not a single scientific uh, reliable paper has ever been published to show that Legumes are harmful. In fact, the contrary. And as, as you said, yes, science may be this thing, but we're talking about researchers who often, you know, in different countries, they don't really have any ax to grind. I meet a lot of researchers and they just are so hell-bent on finding the, the science behind things. that that's mm-hmm. what they, they talk about. And that's why I say, if you want to include small amounts of animal products, small amounts of cheat meat, small amount of ultra-processed foods, because you're otherwise healthy, that's fine. But yes, if you have a diagnosis of diabetes or heart disease, disease, disease and things, really, the way to work forward is eating plants.
0: We'll be back to the episode really soon, but first, a quick word from our sponsors. So regular listeners will know that I only affiliate with brands whose products I already use and trust. Integrity is one of my company's core values, and I feel really strongly about knowing that my listeners can be in full trust about any product I endorse. I personally contacted Block Blue Light UK after using their blue blocking glasses when I had to start working later into the evening. I began wearing the blue blockers because I was aware of what being exposed to the artificial blue light of my laptop would do to my circadian rhythm if I was working after dark and especially because we spend so much time on them during the day. After using them for a few months there was a noticeable difference in how quickly I was able to fall asleep after finishing work not that long before. during the lockdowns and homeschooling my son I also got him a kids pair and he now wears them anytime he's at a screen not just after dark and I feel really strongly about how important it is for both us and our children. Now if you've never heard of blue light blocking and this is the first time you're hearing it studies have shown that artificial blue light from screens, devices, and all modern lighting are having detrimental effects on our health. Artificial blue light disrupts our sleep, interferes with our hormones, and causes digital eye strain which can lead to long-term eye health issues. Since using the glasses myself, and by the way they do amazing fit over glasses that fit seamlessly over any glasses you might already have to wear, which has been priceless for me because I have to wear my glasses when I'm at a screen, I've noticed better sleep quality and an improvement in the thyroid issues i was struggling to balance out fully since having my kids bonus since block blue lights sponsorship for last season hundreds of you have made a decision to improve your health and your sleep by ordering their products and i'm only hearing positive things which was exactly my intention for this collaboration. So to check out all of Block Blue Light's incredible health-boosting products, including day and nighttime glasses, blue light blocking light bulbs, and 100% light blocking sleep masks to help you into a deeper sleep, visit blockbluelight.co.uk and use the code LAUREN10 for a 10% discount. That's blockbluelight.co.uk and use the code LAUREN10. Thank you so much to Block Blue Light. I'd like to talk about the ancestral element for a moment. I yes. am very, I've written extensively and studied extensively on epigenetics. It's a real yeah. passion of mine. Yeah. Um, and what I've seen, again, you know, observation. I have a lot of Indian friends who have yes. always been vegetarian or vegan. Um, and their families have always been the same. Vegan vegetarian or vegan i've got okay. indian friends who are yeah. either now yeah because um, veganism yeah.
1: is not something that is part of indian uh, history no because
0: they've always had the the milk from dairy the cows, but yes. i have a lot of uh Hare krishna friends who only have the dairy from the, mm. from the protected cows but mm. generally most of them are vegan most of the time mm. um but let's just talk about kind of vegetarian indian people you know or, or just generally people who have who have been raised and ancestrally have always eaten plants more than yeah yeah Uh, and a diet rich in legumes and 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 pulses um in my observation and this is totally observation and i just wanted to bring this up because it's always been in in, you know i work a lot with kind of ancestral healing as well and i think it's an important thing to bring up what i see when i observe is that they are thriving on a plant-based diet and that works for them now is that because ancestrally in their dna they've never had meat. So therefore, their DNA has kind of evolved to to thrive on a diet like that. Whereas people who, you know, I know you said about factory farming, but for example, where my ancestors would have come from, they would have maybe found an animal and killed it for their family. And that animal would have, They would have used every part of it, and it would have fed a family for a long time. And but predominantly, that they would have had plants more than anything, because you know how often could you you can't afford it.
1: It was all about economics, and the same thing with India. India is not a vegetarian country. Less than 20% of Indians are actually vegetarian. Remember, 80% of India is non-vegetarian. It's because of... Because
0: all my friends here... Yeah, that's because they're the upper class, yeah.
1: they're upper class, upper caste, like myself. And so the narrative is that India is vegetarian. India is not vegetarian.
0: No, I know that India is yeah. not vegetarian, but yeah. what I'm saying is... Yeah. Uh, so, right, so are you saying that ancestrally...
1: They have always, and, eaten, and meat? always eaten meat. Even Hindus have eaten meat? Yes.
0: Really? Yes, okay. Right, so that's my own ignorance yes. because yes. I didn't think that that yeah. was the case. It's a
1: very new thing, okay? Ah. So always there would be a chicken running around and they would eat chicken. Fish was always even brahmins which is the upper uh, most caste would eat fish because it was considered uh, you know fruit de mare which is basically uh, you know vegetable of the sea. So they would eat fish. It would be a very small part of their diet but they would eat it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it wasn't for ethical reasons and things except jains who you know, are um, ethically uh, minded, so they don't want to eat uh, any meat. But generally speaking, 80% of India is not a vegetarian. It is because generally you have to be privileged to be able to come abroad. And so privilege only happens to the upper caste in India. Okay, Mm -hmm. so that is important to understand. So with regarding evolution, yes, we have all evolved to eat mostly plants. And depending on some areas, you may have had access to some amounts of meat, so you would have brought that meat in, irrespective, whether you were in Iran, whether you were in Africa, whether you were in uh, US, um, in America, it's the same. You always had to subsist on potatoes and and whatever, basically the water was available on the land. But also you have to remember with um, when we look back, never before have humans lived this long. Mm. Okay, the average uh, life expectancy 100 years ago uh, would have been 35, 40 in India, for example, 50 in the UK. Now, uh, women live 83.6 or something like that in the UK. So, and that is, Japan and Hong Kong are the highest. So... We're living longer, we're not necessarily living better, but we have modern medicine to thank because when you have uh, hand washing, when you have vaccines, and when you have uh, antibiotics, that is what has given us the long life, not these medical, um, you know, chemotherapeutical agents. They are not going to give you long life. So, you know, you have to have clean water and, and a safe environment to live. So we are not looking to live like our ancestors first of all. But secondly, our ancestors did start off on trees and then come down. So we have actually, and the reason why we have such big brains, which only can use glucose, it can't use any other form, whether you're on a keto diet or anything at all, the brain works on glucose. It's one of the biggest, hungriest, most energy-seeking organs in our body. And one of the big theories, which has been sort of proven I'm not a scientist uh, so I don't know the details but essentially we were on our fours and the reason we got up and walked was because we discovered that we could eat tubers and by tubers I mean potatoes, yam, tapioca, uh, sweet potatoes and all that grow underground under the ground and we we learned to cook them and that's when we suddenly took raced ahead of all the other um, uh, species and so that's important to understand. So you know as I over and over again say, if it is not for ethical reasons, if it is not for human reasons, you want to include uh, certain amounts of uh, animal foods because you like the taste, because it's cultural, that's absolutely fine. But for health, if you're doing it for health or if for any unfortunate reason you've been given a diagnosis of polycystic ovary syndrome, endometriosis, heavy periods, um, you're uh, pregnant and you want to reduce the number of allergies in your child, if you have got breast cancer, prostate cancer, endometrial cancer, ovarian cancer history, then you want to be eating either a plant exclusive or a plant predominant diet, which mm-hmm. means very tiny amounts of animal products only because, you know, for convenience or for whatever reason. But in my experience, that never happens. You know, if you look at most people, they'll say, oh, I don't have a lot of dairy. But You know, they'll have a cup of tea in the morning, then they'll have it in their cereal, then they'll have some fish uh, for lunch, and then they'll have a chicken breast with vegetables. And then, you know, when they come to see me, they wonder why their health is in such poor shape, even though they look fine from outside. Mm. So that's what I'm trying to get at is always think, how can you fill your plate with color rather than having colors that don't bring any health to you because micronutrients and um, um, vitamins and minerals and all the amino acids and proteins are present in all the plant foods you don't have to do food combining either you just have to eat a variety you have to basically eat the rainbow i know it sounds very cliched but that's what one has to do to really see health and it takes about three weeks but i usually tell my uh, patients that you may never go completely plant-based that's absolutely fine that's your choice but the closer you can inch towards a plant-based diet, the better it is for you. And you may take three months so, to allow your gut bacteria to adapt. You may take six months. You may take six years. You may never. But that's fine. But the science is very clear. There is very little doubt. There is, in fact, no room for doubt. And as I said, if anybody can send me papers, I would be so interested, so eager to see this because you know there's so much of funding done by the animal industry so there is no problem of having loads of unethical papers because that's you know, where the the industry thrives, pharmaceutical industry, 80% of antibiotics are produced for feeding animals. That is a thing, the fish, you know, most of the fish that are caught in the ocean are used to feed our cows, you know, and we wonder why we had mad cow disease. So, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's pasture fed or whatever, you know, you're talking about tiny proportions. Can you imagine if the whole world started eating uh, pasture fed, organic, allowed the animal to live its entire life, you know, It's still, if you see the fear in an animal's eyes, that's not fun. But it's a very small group of people who can actually enjoy that kind of meat. It's not possible for the rest of the world. The rest of the world, we have 8 billion people, I think, right? Uh, And we are feeding 80 billion animals that we slaughter every year. Imagine there are at least one or two million children going hungry every single day. Mm -hmm. If you could just turn those whole grains and that uh, monocrop soya and the monocrop Gone around and do no-till farming. Imagine you would feed, you would get rid of child hunger. Every time you, what you put in your mouth, three times a day, you have a choice to heal ourselves and to heal the planet. Why would no people not want to choose that? That is my only question. I don't understand it because I see see it every day. You know, with PCOS, I, every day I'll get patients. Doctor Bajikal, I haven't had my period for three years. I've been on a keto diet. I've been on a paleo diet. I've been on this. I've been on that. They lose a bit of weight. They come back. And then you see them thriving on a plant-based diet with their periods back in three months. It is really, you know, people look for miracles, but these are miracles actually. But again, as I said, you know, one, my own experience or my patient's experience is not good enough. You know, you really have to look at the whole picture. So eating tiny amounts, if somebody wants to do that, I don't have an issue.
0: So what's on your plate every day?
1: So, on my plate, um, so in the morning, I would tend to have a hibiscus tea, which I try and drink uh, most of the time because I've got a family history of slightly raised blood pressure. Uh, I personally am nearly 60, but I've been very fortunate so far that I don't have any issues. Um, and so I would have a huge bowl of um, sprouted uh, lentil and five grain porridge that my husband makes Uh, he batch cooks it on the weekend i have it with a cup of uh, soya milk not organic because in the uk the non-organic soya milk is what i recommend because it has all the calcium uh, vitamin d that is added because organic can't have anything added Uh, all the soya is yeah all the soya in in the uk is non-gm uh it's important to understand so it's all from the sustainable soya group. There's a huge UK roundtable that monitors every bit of soya. Most, Almost all the GM soya is fed to animals uh, mm. and goes into making sausages and things like that. So I tend to have soya milk because um, of the very rich, there are three things very particularly, I call it the magic bean. So uh, soya has got a lot of fiber. So I eat a lot of edamame beans and tempeh and tofu and miso. It has also got all the uh, protein uh, amino acids. All plants have all nine amino acids, essential amino acids, but soya has got them in the same proportion as animal, uh, as egg white, but without the nasties of animal food. Uh, And the third thing it has is... Uh, Phytoestrogens or plant estrogens, which are not actually estrogens, what they do is they work only on the beta receptors, so they are known as CERM, Selective Estrogen Receptor Modulators, which means that in your breast, they will suppress the breast tissue if you're having too much of estrogen, say from dairy or red meat or chicken and things like that. But when the time comes, it will promote uh, breast growth, say for example in a teenager. Similarly, it uh, reduces menopausal hot flushes, but will help you to drop uh, weight and reduce your waist size, as well as strengthen your bones. So we know people who eat soya have the lowest risk of osteoporosis. So Um, I tend to have a cup of soya milk on my porridge. I tend to have two tablespoons of flaxseed powder because we know that flaxseed has to be milled and has to be powdered and it lowers your risk like soya for breast cancer. Okay, I tend to have a cup of green tea but usually before midday, uh, because green tea again helps to reduce the risk of breast cancer being of a healthy body weight and exercising regularly helps. So I tend to have a couple of dates that are chopped up. I have a cup of berries, I have a banana, and I have two tablespoons of flaxseed, one teaspoon of cinnamon and a teaspoon of chia seeds, on a huge bowl of porridge. People think about four people are going to eat it, but I eat it. There's the other thing with plant-based diets is that you do have to, en- you can enjoy large volumes of food if you want to, uh, and, or you can have the higher fat food. So I tend to eat, you know, like an avocado most days, not every day, but I tend to have it once or twice a week. I have a big handful of nuts and seeds, I always have a variety of nuts, but especially walnuts, which I put onto my porridge. Lunch would be usually a couple of baked potatoes with Uh, Baked beans, if I'm in the hospital with a salad uh, and some hummus next to it. If I'm at home, I would have like a soup with sourdough bread uh, and things. Evening would be usually red rice with quinoa and dal and a couple of vegetables uh, with it and a huge colorful salad with beetroot and rocket and things. And if I'm very busy, if I'm operating, I will take a smoothie in with lots of ginger and you know all the herbs that I grow in my greenhouse. So um, my dessert tends to be a cup of soy yogurt with a couple of dates and cashew nuts every day it's always the same and I eat a lot of fruit as I travel in the car I will have you know anywhere between five and seven fruits in a day lots of grapes and watermelon and also watermelon and apples are great for sexual function in women uh, and improves vaginal lubrication so that's important and um, watermelon is a great recovery if you're working out and exercising muscle mm-hmm. recovery is very good it's got citrulline in it so uh, so yeah that's pretty much how I would eat when I go out I then only eat vegan so I'm not so fussed about it being whole food plant-based I would then have a vegan pizza or a vegan burger but at home generally I would use some extra virgin olive oil or a few drops of coconut oil on the top, because I'm a South Indian. Uh, But generally, I don't cook in oil, I tend to use it as cold pressed, you know, so and same thing with free sugar, if somebody gives me a vegan brownie, I might eat it. But generally speaking, I won't go out of my way. I do love sweet things. (laughs) So I tend to find my, I eat a lot of dried fruit and uh, lots of, you know, sweet fruits and things like
0: that. Mm Okay, well, that's great. I mean, that's a great uh, indicator for everyone who's thinking of plant-based diet of the kind of things you can eat and the variety. That's I have lots of
1: information on my website as well, Lauren, and on my uh, social media, I post a lot of uh, recipes and on my website, I've got about 50 different gynae fact sheets, as well as information on lifestyle medicine, uh, as well as recipes and You know, your podcast will also go on there.
0: (laughs) Perfect. Well, we'll make sure to link all of those in the show notes, your website and your social media and all of that. Just before we end, as I told you, I do all about you, which is just a series of quick fire questions to help the listener get to know you a bit better. And the first one I always start off with for everyone is fill in the blank. Well-being is?
1: Well-being is being kind for me
0: the best piece of advice you've ever been given
1: this was from my father and I was agonizing about whether I could get a a very coveted post in Delhi and he said when you look at any space think is anybody else's name written there otherwise there's no reason why it can't be you so never underestimate your own power that you as an individual can make a big difference and you can achieve anything if you set your mind to it
0: I love that Okay, one thing from your daily self care ritual that's non negotiable
1: my walk with my dogs. Oh, I love that! Yeah, <laughs> my but rescue are. dogs are my life.
0: I know we had uh, we, we had one dog that we had from a puppy and another rescue, but neither of them are with us anymore. But we, um, oh, yeah, my in, yeah, my first dog lived, yeah,
1: my first puppy lived till he was 17, and both mine are plant based, they're now five, wow. uh, so it's Beautiful. wonderful. Oh, yeah. So we um, eat the same food.
0: <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. And yeah, we should all be getting rescue dogs. What would your last supper be?
1: Oh, uh, my last supper would be a very big one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> It would be a vegan pizza with every vegetable on it, lots of jalapenos, um, a nice glass of ro- vegan rose, and sticky toffee pudding. Uh, and before that, a very big salad a big, with avocado and rocket and uh, walnuts and beetroot, because that's my absolute. Lots of glazed balsamic vinegar. My mouth is already watering. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Sounds amazing. Okay. And lastly, sticky
1: toffee pudding with custard, though. <laughs> yeah. See, I
0: was going to say, I agree with all of that. But- I hate sticky toffee pudding my husband loves it it's his favorite I hate it (laughs) you know
1: when uh, I discovered the vegan options of sticky toffee pudding I was in absolute heaven really yeah but I wouldn't recommend it to anybody eating it every day no no
0: absolutely (laughs) Uh, Uh, but for a last supper it's okay yeah um so a charity or cause that you're really passionate about
1: I'm really, really passionate about, so currently I'm really, I'm an ambassador for Made in Hackney. Uh, Made in Hackney is a community uh, kitchen that serves and looks after people in London, you know, especially throughout the COVID pandemic, but teaches people to cook because I think a lot of problem that we've had, whether you eat animal products in your diet or not that's not the point the point is that we're so far removed from real food that people need to learn and touch so i do i do workshops for women for women's health so that is of course my baby i run workshops for schools where we do you know what can they eat about yoga about stress relief about how to manage periods about contraceptive advice and things like that so the charity is made in hackney my own project which is a voluntary project not a charity is women for women's health Uh, and yeah that's what I believe in
0: amazing well thank you so much for being here and sharing your knowledge and um, we'll look forward to um, hearing more about it thank you all right take care Nitu thank you This season of Reconditioned is sponsored by Block Blue Light, the world's leading supplier of blue and artificial light blocking products, including blue light glasses and blue blocking lighting solutions. Blue light blocking products aim to alleviate digital eye strain, improve sleep, and optimize health through mitigating the harmful effects of artificial light from screens and modern lighting. For a 10% discount across the range, visit blockbluelight.co.uk and enter the code Lauren10. Thank you to Block Blue Light. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to Recondition today. I'd be so grateful if you could subscribe and maybe even leave a review if you enjoyed this episode. And better still, if you could share with friends and family who could benefit from the content, that's what I'd really love. I just want us to share the love so that everyone can understand how to use an integrative approach to life and health. For more free resources, visit laurenvacneen.co.uk and laurenvacneencoaching.com.